Hello, Kobo in Conversation listeners. Yes, it's me again, producer and occasional host, Nathan Maharaj. Michael will be back very soon. But for now, I have for you an episode that was recorded live on stage as part of Motive, the Mystery and Crime Festival. I spoke with authors Kevin Powers and Asma Zahanat Khan about their latest novels. Each introduces us to people involved in the criminal justice system, working on violent crimes that have far-reaching geopolitical causes, informed by each author's own unique perspective and experience. So let's go now to Toronto's Harborfront Centre for a session entitled Global Issues on the Page. On the far end of the stage, Asma Zahanat Khan is the author of most recently the crime novel Blackwater Falls, which introduces American Muslim detective Inaya Rahman, who in this first case must investigate the murder of a teenage Syrian refugee, Razan El-Khadr, whose body is left to be discovered at the mosque of a small Colorado town. Asma is also the author of the Khorasan Archive series of fantasy novels and a series of novels set pretty much here in Toronto, featuring detectives Rachel Getty and Issa Khatak. Asma, welcome. Thank you very much. Here we go. Kevin Powers, to my immediate left, is the award-winning author of the novel The Yellow Birds. He has also published a book of poetry, Letter Composed During a Lull in the Fighting. He is a U.S. Army veteran who served in Iraq in 2004 and 2005 as a machine gunner in Mosul and Tal Afar. His new book, A Line in the Sand, is the story of Arman Bajalan, a former interpreter in Iraq who discovers a body on the beach near the, mot the, near the motel where he works in Norfolk, Virginia. And he starts to wonder if the danger he once fled has caught up with him. Kevin, it's great to have you. It's great to be here. Thank you. There's a lot I'd love to cover with both of you. Um, but to start, I hope, we, um, I hope we might bring the audience into your books a little bit uh, as, as, uh, as we have two very different novels to deal with. Kevin, could you tell us a little bit about A Line in the Sand? Sure. So it's um, basically about Armand Bajalan, who was a Kurdish interpreter for U.S. forces in Iraq. Um, he is given a special immigration visa to the U.S. after his family is assassinated uh, due to something that he was witness to. Um, so he's living out a quiet uh, existence as a motel maintenance worker in Norfolk, Virginia, when he discovers a body on the beach. The police become involved and discover that uh, this person is uh, very likely connected to his past and what he witnessed. Um, a newspaper reporter is also drawn into this investigation and uh, ultimately you see that uh, there is an involvement of a, a defense contractor who is up for a government contract and that... Uh, may be one of the reasons why this person ended up dead for Armin to discover, so. We're having this conversation here as part of a festival of crime fiction and mysteries. Um, Asma has a career outside of crime fiction in fantasy, as I mentioned with the Khorasan archives. Uh, Kevin, you've published historical fiction and poetry in addition to um, Yellow Birds, which I mentioned earlier. 
I want to know from both of you, what is it about crime fiction uh, that lets you do things you can't or wouldn't want to do in other genres? Um, I guess, you know, Kevin, we'll start with you, and then, and then we'll dive in with, with Asma. Yeah, and I guess I, I wondered what it would be like to write a book that people actually might read. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's partially true, but um, no, I, uh, it's kind of a w weird way that this developed for me. So I was on my book tour for my last book, um, and I was in a motorcycle accident. And uh, so I had a pretty long recovery period where I was, you know, limited mobility and stuff like that. So I was just tearing through, like, all the Le Carre books. And, um, like, I read, like, uh, Kate Atkinson's, uh, like, Case Histories, that mm -hmm. uh, detective series. And, um, you know, like, Richard Price. I was just reading all this, all these thrillers and, and crime novels and admiring how how drawn into the story I was, and it, it, it seemed like an interesting challenge. Um, I'm always excited by like trying some 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 new aspect of of storytelling, and um, I'd had these ideas floating in my head. I didn't know how they would connect, and suddenly it dawned on me that if I kind of set up this this crime as a sort of central instigating event that um, I could bring these these shards of the story into something something larger, and I guess with crime, crime fiction in particular, I mean, uh, you know that like there's going to be a the book is going to be a, about a transgression against a system, mm. and so it seemed like it was a perfect opportunity for me to give some commentary on the system that interests me, which is kind of like moral corruption and actual corruption in um, what leads us to send young, young men and women across the world to places they probably don't belong. Mm. Do you, you know, injury aside, and that's, uh, that's horrible to... to, to uh, I'm, I'm okay, yeah. You're good, like, I'm, I'm glad you're okay. Um, but the... The, the veering into crime fiction, um, not knowing about the injury, not knowing that this, had, that this has sent you, um, sent you in that direction, uh, I thought maybe it had something to do with, uh, I understand you were a fellow of the Missioner Center for Writers, and the part of that deal was just being good at more than one thing, um, if I understand it correctly, that you had... Uh, you, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, that's what... So I, I have my, my master's in poetry. Uh, that's what I was, you know... That's what I was. Went, that's what I went there to study. But the great thing about that program is that they actually require you to work in multiple genres. So you'll have a poet who is also a screenwriter, or a playwright who's also a fiction short story writer, or whatever. And I'd been writing fiction alongside the poetry since I was a, a teenager. So when I had the opportunity to do that, I, I knew that I wanted to pursue both seriously. And um, I haven't written a poem in a really long time, so I guess I. Now I'm pursuing fiction seriously, yeah, I guess. But uh, is is that sort of your natural writing process? Is to is to uh, throw yourself into a new form, into something that uh, that challenges you to to fill out? I, I mean, I guess it's it's not something that I I think about. Is I don't know that I'm conscious of trying to. It's not like I say, oh, now that I've done that, I want to do something else. I think it's just mm. whatever my instincts 
you know, whatever is kind of attracting me in that moment, um, I try to be open to exploring that possibility. Mm. Asma, what does crime fiction enable you to accomplish that, that you wouldn't be able to or maybe wouldn't want to be doing in another genre? Uh, thank you for the question, Nathan, and thank you also for so delightfully moderating the first panel that I was on. It's great to be back <laughs> on the stage with you again. And since this is my last presentation at the festival, I also want to thank our hosts and organizers for inviting me. Believe it or not, this is the first time I have done a literary festival in my hometown of Toronto, and so it's been great to be here. I dragged my two best friends along with me, forced them to come to every single one of my events. So I'm very, very grateful. It's always wonderful to meet readers who either have already read your work or might come hear you talk and then pick up one of your books. So after that long intro, thank you very much for that. Um, so I've had kind of a checkered career where I've worked um, as an immigration lawyer, where I've taught international human rights law and worked on various human rights campaigns, and then worked as the editor of a magazine, a niche magazine for a niche audience called Muslim Girl Magazine, and then ventured into writing fiction full-time. And I'm actually delighted to know that Kevin is a poet because I have written some very bad poetry along the way over the decades to accompany the fiction and the short stories and whatnot. And I think part of that process as a writer, as you're developing your skill set and your strengths, is to experiment across genre and see what you're good at and how well you can learn. For example, to write a poem is a very, very difficult thing. I met a fellow poet. Uh, I met a poet at, I'm not going to call myself a poet. I met a poet at a festival in, in Colorado who told me that it often takes her six months to perfect a single poem. And I thought that was like a breathtakingly fascinating piece of information. But what attracts me to crime fiction, and I think is the thread of continuity in everything I've done in my, in my career and my history, is the pursuit of justice and my interest in and passion for human rights. And so I, I've been a lifelong reader of crime fiction. It's a genre that I absolutely love. I'm very familiar with the conventions and the tropes. And I always thought that when my time came, when I could sit down and write consistently, and not be practicing law, that I would want to write a crime novel, partly because what I love as a reader is the challenge of solving the puzzle and trying to beat the writer to the ending, but then being very upset if I could beat the writer to the ending. Um, and then the second part is that just structurally, the crime novel is about the pursuit of justice, either for an individual or for a community. And that's something that lends itself very well to my background and the things that I'm interested in writing about. So my... Um, my first crime series, the Issa Khatak and Rachel Getty series, which is set largely in Toronto. Also, each book has an international dimension where I'm able to talk about thematically um, global human rights issues. So for example, I'd written a book on the Bosnian genocide. I'd written one on the plight of political prisoners, one on the Syrian refugee crisis. So the fact that this format, this genre exists and that you can be so inventive and genre bending with it, I think is, is what gives me a lot of freedom and also a sense of homecoming when I'm writing a crime novel. Mm -hmm. In, you mentioned the Khatak and Getty series. Um, as your new book, um, if I'm like playing publicist now for you, <laughs> I'm pushing the new book, Blackwater Falls, yes. um, uh, set in, in Colorado. Um, is it... Is it as amenable to the injection of those global themes that, that fueled you through, through those many novels already? Um, or do you not know yet? I mean, we're two books in. Second one's out in November, by the way. So I'm a bookseller by trade, so if a book's up, I can, I'm gonna try. Um, 
It, yeah, how does, how does um, uh, Inaya Rahman's story uh, facilitate that passion you have for, for f delivering those themes through narrative? That's another fabulous question, Nathan. Because when I set out to write it, it was a book that I wrote um, during the pandemic, and I was interested at that point in civil rights issues in the United States. So in Black Waterfalls, thematically, I was drawn to the subject of criminal justice reform, police brutality, what is, which is what largely what the novel is about, but also to issues at, our southern, at the United States southern border um, and uh, it, the years of the Trump presidency that highlighted and brought into existence the so-called Muslim ban. And I wanted to write about all those things, but in the context of society, state, and politics, those are civil rights issues as compared to human rights issues. But I do write very deliberately, and I think a lot about where my series is going to start and where it's going to end and what um, tangents or what roads I can go down in the process of several books. So in the crafting of my characters, Detective Inaya Rahman is an American detective of Muslim background and her mother is from Pakistan, her father is from Afghanistan. And those were deliberate choices for me because I knew I wanted to write about the American presence in Afghanistan and what that meant for the Afghan people down the road. It's not something I ever intended to do in the first book except through her family, family relationships to introduce that this is coming. Um, but I knew that it would give me the freedom to set a case around that, which is a bit more uh, what the second novel, Blood Betrayal, gets into. And then it would allow me to keep talking right up to the point mm. where ultimately I'd like to write about the American exit and the way it was handled. And then secondly, I have another character who is Inaya's boss in the stories, and he is um, a lieutenant who's very distant from his heritage. His name is Waqas Saif, and he has a Palestinian father and an Iranian mother. And I knew as the series proceeds, I'm going to be able to talk about the human rights of the Palestinian people. I'm going to be able to talk about the Iranian regime and the atrocities it inflicts on its people. So it's still keeping myself in the game that I'm most interested in and most passionate about. But it's allowing me to tell those stories in a slightly different way, at a slower pace. And in Blackwater Falls, again, I deliberately chose a Syrian refugee, teenager, as my murder victim so that I could talk about the circumstances that brought her to the small town in Colorado and what her family experienced along the way and why it's such a tragedy that such a, a bright, young, promising woman's life was cut short. Right. There was a, there was, I don't know if, if you all caught this, but there was a moment as Asma was answering that question where she did a, the, a very lawyerly thing that I want to drill into and very casually was like, well, that's a civil rights issue and that's human rights. As she's going through what's what to me was like it was like going through like storage wars of like all of these these items and things and 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 I love that because that leads into a question I want to ask was organizing those themes that you're into the, those themes that you're interested in um, and how you well, how you do two things clearly they're they're well organized in your mind and 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 whatever uh, red yarn cork wall that the proverbial thing uh, that crime writers um, either literally do or do in their heads. But also in the process of writing, as you alluded to, the second book um, picks up some themes that you knew you would get to, but you wouldn't get to them at the beginning. How do you manage that with, with that abundance of, of passion, of concern around these themes, but you gotta tell a story? Is I'm wondering about your like first drafts. Are there first drafts where you're like, whoa, I just wrote an essay in the middle of that chapter, that's gotta go. <laughs> 
Yes, that happens a lot, and that's what really good editors are for, where they look at your material, and I remember this the most with my first novel, my debut, The Unquiet Dead, where the manuscript I submitted was 125,000 words, and the book is, the final version is just under 100,000, which means that in the process of submitting several drafts, my editor cut 25,000 words, a fifth of the book. And uh, for me, it was a tragedy because I thought, every word I've written is pure gold and absolute treasure and should appear on the page. And she, her note would come back to this similar theme where it would be, this is too much information about uh, war crimes for a mystery reading audience to grasp, number one. We're completely losing track of the story. And, and she'd also say, this is very lawyerly. You are not writing a legal essay here. You're not submitting a paper to the war crimes tribunal. You need to think about the fact that you're engaging with a crime reading audience and you need to write for these readers. So in the end, I found that my, my young editor, whose name was Elizabeth, is Elizabeth Lacks, she was absolutely right. Everything she cut from the book needed to go. It made the story tighter, more provocative, more impactful. Um, and it was kind of me learning the lesson as a first time published writer that less is more or less can be more and that you don't need to beat the reader over the head with tragedy. They're quite capable of making inferences for themselves and expressing their empathy without me doing all this hand-holding. So yes, I often do fall down into these forests of legal details or human rights details that personally fascinate me a great deal mm -hmm. but don't necessarily make for a great novel. Shout out to editors, for real. Kevin, I want to come back around to this question that I, that I asked earlier. What, what, is the, what is the engine for your work? Do you, do you carry with you a set of themes that you wish to explore and, and see if you can get them out in the next, in the next piece of work? No. I, 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 I have some kind of, usually some image or some fragment of a sentence or a character, some small part that... Um, just as like a pebble in the shoe, you know, mm -hmm. where I just can't stop thinking about it. And for me, the writing is an opportunity to kind of discover what it is about that. Mm -hmm. And so in that process, usually the, the theme sort of uh, reveals itself. And it's very often a, I'm as surprised as everybody else, you know, <laughs> that, you know, I wasn't necessarily planning to write a book about, you know, the corruption of private military contractors and the reasons why the U.S. government chooses to go here and there and everywhere. It actually started, the, the initial idea that I had for this book was about a young girl who ended up becoming Detective Catherine Wheel, but it was a young girl walking through the mountains of Virginia with her father, and he kind of tells her this brief story about an experience he had in the Korean War. And it became a book about uh, Kurdish immigrant to the United States who was witness to a war crime. Mm -hmm. And how I got from there to the other, to the, from, you know, from one point to the next was basically just, you know, wandering into a fog of uncertainty and, uh, you know, just clawing my way to the next, uh, you know, the next sort of uh, image that was clear to me and seeing how they could connect. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I put together a very loose outline and for me, the only question is how soon I'm going to discard it, you know? Um, I just, I, I always end up surprising myself where where it goes. I I would love to plan something out and be able to stick to it, but I just, 
I think I'm too scatterbrained or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a poet's mind. It's, yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 Have you in in that intuitive exploratory process where I think is as it would be fair to say you sort of come to learn what it is that you think, what it is that you feel, maybe? Yeah, sure. Has that surprised you? Do you do you end up do you end up seeing maybe you know moral conclusions that land a degree off of where you thought things sat? Oh, abs yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, I mean, I'm pretty, you know, with this book in particular, I, I know where my sympathies lie, and that's I think probably clear to anybody who reads the book. But yeah, you know, without giving too much away, I mean, one of the choices that. Detective Wheel makes towards the end. I, 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 I don't know how I feel about you know. Mm. And I tried to leave. I, I tried to leave that um, that uncertainty um, in the book. You know mm. whether it's whether she made the right decision or the wrong decision. Whether it could be uh, morally justified, even if it was not legally justifiable. You know. So I, yeah. I mean, I, I am always. It's always a. Um, a process of discovery. I, th I think if it wasn't, I think if I knew ahead of time, I, I wouldn't be interested enough to do it. <laughs> the story of Armand specifically, uh, this man who finds a body on the beach, who has worked as an interpreter in Iraq, who has seen something that, that maybe he wishes he hadn't seen for a variety of reasons, because now people know he's the man who saw what he, too much. Um, is is a character when it, when you write a character like that? Is that a story that is kind of bouncing around in your head for a while, or is it more a device of you know you need you need to inject peril, you need to inject a certain kind of conflict, and you draw on you draw on that? No, I mean with him in particular, I mean he's not based on any specific person, but I mean I I spent a lot of time around you know I was in the uh, uh, an area of Iraq that has a, a very strong Kurdish population. Um, I was around Kurdish translators. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time and you know just around Kurdish people, and I developed an affinity for you know the cause of Kurdistan. And uh, I don't know. So I mean, mm. of the many things that I felt, you know, kind of inner conflict and guilt and, and shame about my own experience, my own participation in the U.S. involvement in Iraq, a lot of that sort of was concentrated in like seeing what these people had to deal with based on choices that, uh, you know, my representatives made and feeling, I don't know, not mm -hmm. like, not like telling this character story is going to make any of that right. It's mm -hmm. not. But it's one way that I can sort of acknowledge and express that that's real to me, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, and I don't know. I mean, some of it just comes out of, like, I remember being on guard duty with this guy and ended up having a conversation about The Great Gatsby because he was a student of literature at um, Mosul University. And mm. just thinking about that sometimes is sort of... Um, yeah. Doesn't go away, you know, yeah. that... that feeling of a responsibility or whatever. Mm. It strikes me that a theme of the book um, that, that Armand is part of the labor of waging war 
his his work as an interpreter is is part of part of this this uh, this agenda. It's completely unfair in in the cost it takes from him. Um, and and then on the on the flip side in the book, we've got uh, Decision Tree, the Corporation Decision Tree. Great name. Thank it's you. Full of Catherine Wheel Detective Decision Tree Corporation. Just just chef's kiss. <laughs> um, it's earning literally, literally untold sums. There is literally a scene in which a congressperson tries to make them name the number, and the guy can't quite tell you how fabulously wealthy they become off of defense contracts. How naturally did these, did, like, I'm doing that, that, like, literary student thing of, like, oh, I'm seeing themes, and there's, here's a Marxist an analysis of, like, labor. Did those themes just emerge for you of, of like, people doing the work of war? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I guess the way that I want to critique the system that I'm trying to critique in the book is by showing um, the individuals who are like a distillation of the impact of, of, of that system. And so if one wanted to, that information is readily available. Journalists write stories about it. They do it really effectively. It's important work that they do. But for me... You know, I'm hoping that people can really feel the emotional impact on one individual person. And so, in this case, it's, it's really two. It's, it's Armand and then Sally, who's the journalist, and they have this kind of, like, not equivalent loss, but, like, they, they each have their own loss. And, and for me, it's like, if I can make you understand these two characters' pain then hopefully you can extrap as a reader you can extrapolate that out to all those unnamed people who are feeling similar pain you know mm -hmm. it's that you know that old thing of like one death is a tragedy right mm -hmm. it's so i'm trying to lean into the that tragedy you mentioned Sally Ewell, the journalist um uh we've talked about we've mentioned detective Catherine Wheel um notably they are they are not veterans where where Armand comes with with having been in it, they're, they're adjacent. Well, Catherine Wheel, for her, it's, it's, I think she describes it as her, her, her knowledge of military is basically um, arresting drunken soldiers uh, right, when they get out right. of hand. Um, whereas Sally has experienced deep personal loss related to, uh, to, to the military. Um, there are characters adjacent to them that have, that have direct uh, experience, um, but, but they, they don't. Can you tell me a little bit about that decision of, of kind of setting them apart from, from that system? Yeah, I mean, I guess in some ways it's like trying to create my own distance, you mm -hmm. know? Because I have, I, I have all these, um, these personal experiences that are so close that I think maybe I'm not... It, it prevents me from seeing things in, in the way that I would need to. Mm -hmm. And so just creating a character who has distance, if I force myself to think from their perspective, hopefully it'll give me, I mean, n nothing like objectivity, but it'll let me see things from a different point than just where I'm standing, you know? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, and honestly, like, I'm not at all that interested in my own perspective, you know? I sort of, like... I kind of want to get a different perspective. And, and the great thing about fiction is that it allows me to attempt to occupy those different perspectives and, and learn something. And hopefully part of that, part of what I learn will be evident on the page to a reader, you know, and I can sort of transmit that 
mm -hmm. experience of growth or whatever it is, you know. Right. But we still we still have we still have uh, I think Lamar is yeah. the name of the, uh, and and he's kind of adjacent to it. Was sort of can you can you sort of speak a bit to to including him in the mix in that in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I wanted there to be people who were kind of familiar enough with their adversary, mm -hmm. but not so familiar as to arrive at the answer too quickly, you know? Mm, yeah. So, you know, Lamar has some knowledge of, you know, he, he's, he's a veteran, he was in war, but he wasn't in uh, a high up enough position to really understand how these private mili military contractors are deployed, um, you know, and... and Detective Wheel and Sally, they're adjacent to the military in, 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 to a large enough degree that it's not entirely foreign. I don't have to spend, like, they don't have to spend the whole book learning about army stuff or whatever. You know, they have some kind of familiarity with the culture or whatever, but it's not so much as to, like, there's still discoveries for them to make, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. Asma, how did the writing about Toronto, how did that, how did that aid uh, drawing out the topics? Is, it, was it, is, is Toronto an easier place to pack in the, the panoply of, of uh, legal themes, of social themes that you're interested in? Or was it just like, write what you know and here I am in Toronto at the time and that's what you did? I actually wasn't in Toronto at the time, but I've always thought of the city as my hometown, even though I've lived a lot of places. This is where I've lived longest, but you know, in the, in the GTA, so not right downtown, but it's a city that I love, and the reason that I set the series here is you're partly right. It was the familiarity of it, of some things that I didn't have to learn and that could easily just rely on for backstory or context or atmosphere, but also because I thought that Toronto is the city that would produce a man like Isa Khatek, who evolves out of that momentum that multiculturalism has gained in this country over the past few decades, and who would feel, like I do, very much at home in his own skin and in his community, but also as part of a network of different kinds of communities. And I wanted that kind of man because I, as my lead detective because I thought um, there's no question then of belonging. I don't have to explore that sense, that side of Isa. He's not justifying anything. He's not trying to place himself anywhere. Uh, but also because he had this kind of global perspective, because he has such a rich heritage himself. He relates to so many different people and communities. He relates to all inheritors of the Islamic tradition across the globe. And a lot of my um, the human rights issues that I'm interested in are focused on places in the Muslim world. So he was a great interpreter of those social justice, justice issues that I wanted to bring to the page. And he was also a, a, a really good way to, uh, a medium for humanizing things that seem very complex and complicated. Mm. Like, for example, when we see the full scale of the Syrian refugee crisis, it has so many different angles to it. It's almost impossible for a single person to grasp what's going on and what's led to you know, the country essentially being dismembered and so much of the population being internally displaced and six million refugees and so on. Um, but when you have someone like Isa interacting human to human through the cast of characters that he'll interact with or interview, 
it's much more easy to understand. In many ways, similar to what Kevin's saying, is you tell the story of two people's pain, and then maybe you're able to grasp all the other people who are experiencing similar things, their pain, or you're able to see it on a bigger scale, but it becomes very intimate and personal for you. And I think that's one of the great gifts of literature in general, is the ability to bridge distances we otherwise would not bridge. Mm. When you look at, that, that's, that's, that's really fascinating that what I actually wanted to call it was just that, uh, that focus on pain, that, that individual pain. That's a really interesting place to land at, um, especially in the context of everything you've spoken about, of, of some, some like, technical legal matters of, 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 of uh, where justice is, is, is not being served, where, where the law calls for something, and, and in fact systems produce this other result. Um, to focus on the pain of the individual, can you tell me a bit, a bit about where that comes from? That feels like a that 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 feels like a remarkable thing to sit in the same mind that can comprehend the full technical scope of it all. Has it always been something for you? Is it has it always just run alongside of deep empathy and sort of mastery of of on a conceptual level? I wouldn't know about mastery, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. Um, but I will say that I am the daughter of. South Asian parents who um, who were heirs of the partition era. Mm. So my father uh, and mother both had to leave India and migrated to Pakistan. There was a great deal of destruction, loss of property. My father in particular was witness to terrible crimes. And those are the kinds of stories that I would hear growing up. And my parents had this great capacity for empathy, but they also had carried these wounds that were never spoken about, these uh, the idea that the history of partition is really not taught in Pakistani schools. So they would only know it from their own lived experience. Um, and then in my mother's, in the case of my mother, it fostered this feeling of India is the eternal enemy. It gave me nothing and Pakistan gave me everything. And then when you're growing up in a multicultural society where you might be Muslim, but your best friend is Hindu, mm -hmm. uh, it really makes you look at every issue from a, a multiplicity of perspectives. So there was that idea that people suffer, they lose everything. My parents lost everything, particularly my father. He lost family, he lost his home. He had to learn a new language to settle in his new country. He didn't have papers. He couldn't get placed in particular places because of his ethnicity. So I knew that struggle, not personally, but I was adjacent to it. And my father was the most um, optimistic and positive person I'd ever met in my life. And I wanted to know, how could someone go through that much suffering and that much tragedy, yet not make their entire life about that? So I think that's why I always had that interest in pursuing and studying and learning about human rights. And then my parents had a tendency of, um, you know, taking us to things. I remember when I was nine years old, they took me to a Christian church to hear a human rights activist who'd come from El Salvador to talk about the struggle in her country. And when you're young and impressionable, those things really stick in your mind. And they showed me lots of films, lots of documentaries. And they were also particularly connected to the global Muslim community, which is something we call the Ummah. And it's something that my detective Isa Khatak thinks about a lot, his connection to other members around the globe who mostly live lives of terrible suffering, inequality, deprivation, or oppression. And so as a young Muslim growing to become a woman who'd become a young activist, that sentiment was, was placed in me early. And so I was interested in the questions of why are so many Muslim populations around the world targets of oppression, of genocide, as in Bosnia or now the Uyghur population in China. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to explore those issues through the lens of my detective from a very personal and intimate level of someone who's like, I, I share all these same beliefs, but I'm so... 
I'm so free from all of the things that these people are suffering, and I want to explore why that's the case. Mm-hmm. So I have, to, I have to ask, I mean, you could just write detective series, but you've got this fantasy series that runs alongside, <laughs> which, 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 I mean, first of all, I, I don't, I'm not sure you experience time the way the rest of us do, because I don't know where you'd find it. <laughs> Can you can you tell me a little bit about what writing the Khorasan archives allows you to do maybe that that you don't get to work through in a detective novel? Wow, that's another phenomenal question and I hope you all are prepared for an extremely long and wordy <laughs> answer cuz here it comes. Yes, never write an ep- a writer of epic fantasy a question unless you're ready for the answer. Are you ready for the world building <laughs> portion? No, I'm just teasing, but um so as I wasn't conscious of this at the beginning, but I realized by the end of the Khatik series, five books, one novella and one short story later, that this is what I had been doing. I had been writing this series set in Toronto with a lead Muslim character who's not a terrorist, who's not a wife beater, who's not abusive, who's not oppressive, um, who's kind of a, a counter narrative, the embodiment of a counter narrative about, about Muslim communities and Muslim men in particular. And I'd been writing him not so much for me and my communities, but for the Western gays as a way of countering Islamophobia, both locally and globally. Because if you see, this is the experience I've always had reading literature, that the minute I'm able to step into somebody else's mind, somebody else's home, I empathize so much more deeply with their history, their struggle, and I'm much more curious and open-minded about it. And I wanted people to feel that way about about Issa Khatak as a character, about the communities I come from, and then to engage with those communities very differently. So I didn't realize it at the time, but I can see now looking back that that's how those books are written. But with the Khorasan archives, um, so with the, with the detective series, I had to be so careful about the way I said things. I had to provide so many context clues. And I was also thinking about when you want to build bridges, you try very hard not to offend people. You do it in a delicate and intricate layered kind of way. You try to be nuanced about it. You try to be sensitive to a wide range of perspectives. Um, But with the Khorasan archives, I wanted to be really self-critical about the communities that I come from. Mm. And so ethnically, I am a Pashtun woman, or as we say, an Urdu Patan. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Pashtuns, but they make up the Taliban primarily. So those are the communities that I come from. And two generations ago, The women of my family lived in a deeply patriarchal society, entirely controlled by the men in their lives, and in a deeply tribal society. So, for example, my maternal grandmother, when she was married, didn't walk outside her home for 10 years. So two generations, migrations later, and I wanted to talk about, well, now the Taliban has risen in Afghanistan again the second time, and it's um, oppressing women, it's oppressing minorities, all other ethnicities. So the Khorasan Archives is a fantasy world that is very much based on the experience of Pashtun women under Taliban rule. And it's about this quest of these women mystics to overthrow this religious patriarchy, but by using their religious text as a means of liberating themselves, rather than as as a group like the Taliban would use them in these very oppressive and limiting ways. So it was a much more... um, In one sense, it was very freeing because I wasn't giving context clues. I wasn't watching language. (laughs) I wasn't being sensitive. There's no puzzle to build. There's no puzzle. I was being very direct. uh, And I was drawing on the richness of the entire Islamic civilization, its history, its religious traditions, its touchstones in telling this story so that alongside telling you about this oppressive patriarchy, I'm also shining a light on how beautiful things have been and could be. 
uh, and how women, once they take their power into their own hands, can entirely alter the fate of a civilization. So I was challenging things that are difficult to challenge when you're writing about Muslim societies, but by casting them in this fantastical world along a broken Silk Road a thousand years in the future, it gave me a little more freedom to do that, and it gave me great joy in writing about a tradition that I know so well that I felt would be interesting to a Western audience that primarily might read fantasy based on Nordic or European mm -hmm. world building and mythology. It would be mm -hmm. something different. And it would also allow me not to hold such a tight rein on myself as an author. Mm. That was my long wordy answer. <laughs> I'm gonna go buy all those books now. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Um, I, so I know, I know, as I mentioned, I know we're revisiting Detective Rahman shortly. Blood Betrayal is, is out soon. You can pre-order it now. Um, Kevin, you've you've built this. You've, you've got Catherine Wheel. You've you've you, you don't play like to play that chip and walk away. Like you've named a detective Catherine Wheel. Like you got. Are we going to go out on another adventure with her? In in uh, in. I have, I have entered the fog of uncertainty, and <laughs> I, yeah, I started writing another book where she's the the primary character. Okay. You know the the story is very different, and the. The kind of the system that I'm looking to interrogate is different. Mm. Um, you know, at the end of the book, she's in a kind of different position. Mm. Um, so she's also in a different position. She's kind of like returned to her home, and um, it's more of a cold case story about uh, uh, migrant workers who used to follow the seasons up up and down the East Coast. Um, and a dead body that's discovered in the mountains who they think is, initially they think is a victim of a hurricane that was devastating um, in the Blue Ridge Mountains in the late 60s, but uh, dun, 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 it might not be. Yeah, so, Are you having fun? I'm having a lot of fun. It feels weird to have so much fun writing about dead people. And murders, but yeah, it's, it's <laughs> this may it, be your awakening. Is like, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's just it's really satisfying to think about, you know, is this gonna be exciting for the reader? You know, um, yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a fun like the 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 puzzle aspect of it is is really interesting to me, and um, you know, like. Also, I was saying, like finding those opportunities, like can I, how delicate can I be, you know, where can I sort of weave in, um, you know, the stuff that I am looking to to present a critical eye on, you know, it's like how do I do that without um, being didactic and and making it exciting, and um, I don't know if I'll stick with this, but I set myself a challenge of having fewer gunfights. Because there's lots of gunfights in this book, and I was like, "Well, I wonder if I could keep it exciting without having people constantly shooting at each other." So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you? I guess it's your first novel of, of carrying a set of characters forward. That's true. Yeah. Is, I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a. This is a weak question, but what's that like? Well, it's nice to know her or yeah. feel like I know her. You know. Yeah. It, and I guess one of the reasons why it's interesting because at the end of the book, I mean, I didn't, I didn't plan on, I mean, I was sort of like thinking of this as just a book and then mm -hmm. I'll figure out what the next book is. But at the end of the book, I wanted to, I kind of wanted to stay with her and 
she's now somebody that I like care about. Yeah. And, and that's not like caring about people is a new experience for me, but <laughs> uh, having this carryover from, from one book to potentially another book and having a character that I'm really invested in, I mean, my, I can only hope that maybe readers will feel similarly. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, and it's new. It's another new thing for me mm -hmm. to... To explore, right. you know. Oh, right, because doing the same thing is new. Because you've done, you haven't doing done that the before. same thing is now new. Because right. I've always done the new thing, so now <laughs> doing the same thing is new. So yeah. Uh, I, I like I said, I'm a bookseller. I love I love asking people what they read. Um, I especially wanted to ask you too because I no way I could just call it. I, like, there's not, there's nothing there's nothing in your priors that would tell me exactly what what you uh, where your tastes go. Um, Kevin, what what do you what do you read for fun? Where do you go when you're not recovering from a motorcycle oh, yeah. accident? Right. Uh, well, right now, let's see. I am reading. Oh, well, it's anyway. It's the Three Body Problem by C. Uh, Chen Liu. Liu. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's kind of a science fiction, bizarre. I'm only like eighty pages into it, but really interesting. Um, it uh, assumes a certain like. Technolo technological proficiency that I, I may not be meeting the standard of, but uh, <laughs> but really fascinating. I recently finished um, Cormac McCarthy's two uh, books that he kind of released in tandem. Mm. I thought those were really amazing. I mean, I read. I've been reading a lot of stuff about um, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, which I, is sort of possibly for research, but. I'm also like, it's my one little conspiracy that I kind of actually believe in, so I'm like reading about that. So yeah. I go all over, yeah. yeah. Osma, what, uh, when you're not on deadline for something, with that, with that spare 20 minutes a year, I guess, that you have, like, what do you, <laughs> what do you pick up? Okay, this is going to shock you, but I read a book a night, no matter what deadline I'm on. I, I cannot go to sleep until I've read a book, but it's 99% of the time that book will be a romance novel. So it's quickly, easily digested, and it always leaves me feeling extremely happy at the end. So lately, I have fallen down this rabbit hole where I'm reading something I thought I would never read because I am so anti the military-industrial complex and so anti the criminal justice system in the United States. But I have started to read endlessly, novel after novel, military romances, and I have to tell you, I am enjoying them thoroughly. But generally speaking, I read a, yes, I am. I like, I know all these new military terms that I never knew before, like five by five and beat feet and stuff like that. I didn't like know that. military romance was a thing. It's, oh, it's so, such it's a, a thing. Wonderful, yeah, it's a wonderful a genre, sex with a Navy SEAL. Come on, it's, it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> But, the sweetness of forbidden fruit. Huh? <laughs> yes, exactly. But um, primarily, I read crime fiction because it's my favorite genre. I love to read it. And I have like at least 40 favorite authors who write series. So when their books mm. come out, I read the latest installment. But in terms of literary fiction, two books that I, or two or three that I've read that have really stayed with me is Omar Al-Aqad's What Strange Paradise. It was mm. the Giller Prize winner here in Canada. It's a beautiful book about a Syrian boy who's a refugee who washes up on a Greek island and it has these magical realism elements to it, but it's a beautifully told story about the Syrian refugee experience. Stunning, heartbreaking. And then a book I recommend to absolutely everybody I meet is 
Anthony Mara's A Constellation of Vital Phenomena, which is not a crime novel, but so brilliantly puts together the plot of a crime that it should be a crime novel. But the, not only is the writing superb, exceptional, incredibly empathetic, dramatic, but it's a story about the Russian experience in Chechnya and the brutal intrusion of Russian forces into Chechnya and what they did to the Chechen people. And I know from experience, though I'm nowhere near a writer of Anthony Mara's caliber, that those kind of novels are extremely difficult to write without coming across as didactic, mm -hmm. depressing, message novels, and so on. But the way he's done it is so lyrical and so moving and magical. If you've never read A Constellation of Vital Phenomena, it will get you reading these kind of novels for the rest of your lives. So that's another one. I've, I've had that recommended to me by uh, a, a very annoying ex-colleague uh, who's a great, who has great taste and he's a great guy. Just he's Santiago, if, if you wind up listening to this recording. I'll, I'll read the Anthony Mara. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Asma, for such a great chat. Um, on behalf of the Toronto International Festival of Authors, thank you, everyone here, for joining us uh, at this event at the close of Motive, the Crime and Mystery Festival. Thank you all for coming out. Uh, this has been great. Thanks, Nathan. Thank Thanks, you. Osman. Thank you to you, Thanks, and thank you, you to Nathan. Appreciate it. From the stage of Motive, the Crime and Mystery Festival, that was me in conversation with novelists Asma Zahanat Khan and Kevin Powers. If you enjoyed the live vibe of this episode, subscribe so you don't miss the next time we hit the Harborfront stage and scroll back to see other episodes recorded in front of an audience. This episode was produced by the good folks at the Toronto International Festival of Authors at Toronto's Harborfront Centre with some post-production by me, Nathan Maharaj. Thank you for listening. <laughs>